Well, once again, if you came in late, my name is Stuart Mazell. I'm the lead pastor here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for those of you who are joining us online. We're continuing our series that we've entitled, uh, What Child Is This? And we're just taking a look at some of the titles that uh, are entitled to Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. And so we're looking at Matthew 1, 1 today. Again, this will be our last week in this one verse. And here we go. Here's what God's Word says. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you please empower me for the task that you've given to me today, that I will speak truth, that I will speak boldly, and that I would speak in a way that honors Jesus. And I also pray for all who hear this message that you would be at work in them, that you would show them the beauty and the wonder and the glory that belongs to King Jesus. And that today, whatever scales may be on anyone's eyes, that they may fall off and that they would see for the first time or see more clearly just how amazing Jesus really is. Let that be the case for your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and for our good, and even for the good of the people around us in our community. Amen. I don't know if you know this or not, but the uh, figure of Abraham, he's pretty a big deal. Um, there's no doubt that Abraham has had a significant impact on the world. I mean, think about it. Here's a man who, he was a, a pagan, wasn't a believer in God, and then God spoke to him and called him and made him into something mighty, amazing. Of the five major religions today in the world, three of them honor him as a significant figure. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And according to one source, that's over half of the population of the world today, of, belonging to those three different religions. Uh, Walter Russell Mead, in his book, The Abraham Bomb, I see what you did there, says, no cultural development since the advent of writing. Think about that. No cultural development since the advent of writing rivals the importance or impact of the Abrahamic tradition. The political, scientific, moral, and philosophical consequences of the emergence of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are almost incomprehensibly large. In layman's terms, Abraham's a big deal to a lot of people. And there are even some, uh, forgive me for going here, but this is, just, this is just too good not to share. There are some who believe that there's some type of connection between Abraham and Sarah and Hinduism. 
And here's why. One of the gods of Hindus is named Brahma, Abraham, Brahma. And one of his uh, family members is called Saraswata, Sarah. Very interesting, right? I don't know what to make of that. But there is some, some people believe there's some type of connection that perhaps, perhaps, I'm not saying this is the case, perhaps somehow Abraham and Sarah, the news of them traveled to India and that they, because they are a very uh, synchronistic type of religion, they incorporate all kinds of other religious traditions into their own, incorporated Abraham and Sarah into their own pantheon of gods. I don't know whether that's true or not, but it does make a good story. And then, of course, there's the undeniable fact that if I started singing, Father Abraham had many sons, many of you would stand up and you'd do the motions and everything, <laughs> right? So Abraham, he's a big deal. We're going to talk about someone who's even a bigger deal today, but he is the son of the big deal, okay? But he's a bigger deal. So Jesus is the son of Abraham, and that's what we're going to talk about today, and we're going to unpack that. And we're probably going to learn some things that we didn't know about this Jesus that we worship. Jesus is the son of Abraham, and we see that in Matthew 1.1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we've seen how Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the anointed one who is anointed to rescue his people, to deliver his people from their sin. We've also seen how Jesus is the son of David. And then that means he is, he is the king of kings, the ultimate king of kings and lord of lords who will establish a kingdom that will last forever and nothing can destroy it. And now we're looking at how Jesus is the son of Abraham. Now, like we said last week when I talked about how Jesus is the son of David, some people will read this and say, oh, well, all that means is that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. Well, it certainly does mean that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, but it means much more than just that, okay? Not merely that he's a descendant. That's an important part, but there's more to the story than just that. Here's how I would say it. Not only does this title, the title Son of Abraham, indicate that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, it also indicates he is the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham. Let me say that again, because that's a mouthful. Not only does this title, Son of Abraham, indicate Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, it also indicates he is the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham. And to talk about this, I want to go to two of my favorite passages that I, I share almost all the time, especially at this time of the year. Whenever you're reading through the, the Bible, you know, you start in Genesis and you get to Exodus and then probably by Leviticus you start saying, what am I doing? But as you're reading through, a lot of times we forget what the Bible is really all about. We forget that the Bible always points us to the person of Jesus. 
And on every page that we read, in some way, fashion, or form, it's pointing us to Jesus. And, and that's not my view. That's not the Presbyterian view. That's not even the Reformed theology view. That is the view of Jesus. Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, either this guy is full of it, or he really is who he says he is. Because who in their right mind would say, all that stuff written in the Old Testament, that's about me? Who would say that? Either they're crazy, they're a liar, or they're Lord. Really. And then Jesus doubles down in John 5, 39, when he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Like everything you're reading, from Genesis to Malachi, you're thinking it's about you. It's not about you. It's about me. That's what Jesus is saying. So, when we read that Jesus is the son of Abraham, you cannot remove Abraham from the promises that God made to Abraham. And those promises are fulfilled in and through Jesus. He is the son of Abraham, not just physically, but also in this way of fulfilling all the promises of God. Douglas Moo, in his uh, commentary on Galatians, says it this way. God's promises become concentrated in one person, Christ, the seed, through whom those promises become applicable to a worldwide people. In other words, all the promises that God made, they're yes and amen in Jesus and for Jesus. And then Jesus shares them with people all around the world, people who believe in him. And in order to see this, we need to talk about the promises that God made to Abraham. And, and like I said last week, this is going to be a lot of scripture thrown at you. I'm going to talk about a lot of different verses so if you, uh, you, know, you like to take notes, this is a good note Sunday. If you don't like to take notes, it's a, still a good listening Sunday. I, I'm obligated to say that. We are going to be looking at these Jesus-fulfilled promises. Now here we go. These Jesus-fulfilled promises made to Abraham can be summarized with three words. Offspring, land, and blessing. Okay? Jesus fulfills the promises of Abraham, and those promises can be summarized in three different words. Offspring, land, and blessing. Let's start with offspring. In Genesis 17, 7, God promises Abraham this. I will establish my covenant 
between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. This is one of our favorite passages as a church because we read passages like this to say, see, God cares about your children. He doesn't just care about you as an individual or you as an adult. He cares about your children. And that is true. But Paul picks up these words and he tells them that ultimately there is someone else that's being referred to here by the offspring. Galatians 3.16. Let's look at that. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. We just read that. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. It's hard to get your mind wrapped around this, but basically what Paul is saying is, the offspring of Genesis 17 is really about Jesus. And the only way that it is actually um, other people is through Jesus. That is the ultimate meaning of this. Remember that quote that we read a few minutes ago by Mu about how all of the promises are concentrated in Jesus and then he shares them with everyone else who believes? That's what this is about. Jesus is the offspring who shares his status with those who believe, so that they too can be offspring. And what this means is that being physically descended from Abraham has some level of importance, but the ultimate importance is your relationship to Jesus. Now I know, this is where I'm going to get myself in trouble, but I'm going here. There's a situation going on right now that I'm sure is all on your minds about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And there are many Christians who are saying, this is how we are to view the nation of Israel today. And some of them have good points, some of them don't. All right? Am I going to wade into that right now? Absolutely not. That's for another sermon. But I will say a few words because I feel like everybody's got that on their mind. How should we view the nation of Israel today? And I think we need to talk about that some so that we can try to um, curb some of the confusion. So if this sparks something in you, and you want to talk further, I'll be happy to talk to you about it. But no, it's probably going to be a lengthy conversation. All I'm giving you is about this much of the iceberg, and there's a lot more under the surface. So everybody understand that? All right. So how should we view the modern state of Israel? First of all, just a few points. Anyone who diminishes the role of the physical descendants of Abraham through Isaac is not understanding the scriptures correctly. All right? Anytime you hear someone say, well, the Jews, they don't, they're not really people of God in any sense today, that's a little too strong. Okay? 
But at the same time, anyone who fails to recognize the significant distinction between Abraham's physical descendants and Abraham's spiritual children through Christ, that person has not understood the scriptures correctly either. There is a distinction, and it is significant. True Israel are people who believe in Jesus, Jew and Gentile. And so there are Jews in the modern state of Israel who believe in Jesus, and they are true Israel because they believe. And there are Jews who do not, and they are not true Israel, even though they are in the nation of Israel. And I know for some of you that's like shocking news, but that's Bible, that's Scripture, okay? A couple more points, and then we'll move out of this rabbit hole, and then you can complain about me afterwards. Anyone who doesn't recognize that there are promises that are made to the physical descendants of Abraham that still have some bearing today, if you think that you, they don't have any bearing, you are not understanding the scriptures correctly. But anyone who advocates that we always have to back the nation of Israel, no matter what they do, even if what they do is unrighteous, that person has not understood the scriptures either. There are lots of times where God chastises his own people because they did the wrong things and let foreign armies come in and take over. Old Testament is full of that. All right? So if we're going to talk biblically about these things, let's talk biblically. Let's not just take one verse out of context. Let's look at the whole of Scripture and see what the whole of Scripture says. And what the whole of, and part of what the whole of Scripture says, Romans 9, 6 through 7, listen to what Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Just because you came from that line doesn't mean you really belong to them. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Who are the true children of Abraham? Who are they? Well, he explains in Galatians 3. Listen to this. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and your heirs, according to the promise. You hear that? All the distinctions have been done away with. There, are no, there is no more Jew and Greek. There is, are you in Christ or are you not in Christ? Are you, there is no more, are you a slave or are you free? You're all free in the Lord Jesus, but you're all slaves to righteousness in Jesus. Okay? And there's no more male and female in the sense that it used to be only males got the inheritance. Male and female both get the inheritance that God has for them in Christ. Isn't that good news? And that's what happens because of Jesus, the offspring who shares with all people who believe in him the inheritance that he has. 
He brings them in and he makes them children of Abraham. He makes us offspring as we believe in him. All right. So second, we've talked about offspring. We need to talk about land. There's a lot of confusion about this too, but let's look at this. The promise that God gave to Abraham back when he was called Abram is in Genesis 12, verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and he said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Now, I don't know if you know much about Israel, but Israel is about the size of New Jersey. It's not very big. In fact, um, South Carolina is three times bigger than Israel. If you were to take Israel and compare it to the rest of the land mass of the world, Israel is 0.000139% of the world's land mass. In other words, it's kind of tiny, right? And you start to wonder, why is God making such a big deal about this tiny little strip of land, if that's all there is to it? Because that's not all there is to it. And I'll show you from Scripture. Paul, again, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, from Romans chapter 4, verse 13, listen to what he has to say. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of that small little piece of land in the Middle East. Is that what the scriptures say? What's the word there? World. That he would be the heir of the world. Did not come through the law, but through righteousness, or the righteousness of faith. See, Paul understood that that small strip of land in the Middle East was the beginning of something bigger. It's like Jesus tells a story about how a little bit of yeast, and it goes through the whole dough, and that's like the kingdom. Well, Jesus started in Israel, the people of God, and then he spreads that people of God out to the whole world so that the whole world comes under his lordship. Not just a little strip of land, but all the nations, all the world. In fact, one of the messianic psalms, that means a psalm that points to the Messiah, Psalm 2, verses 7 through 8. I love this because it tells us what Jesus is about. Listen to this. I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, here's the father talking to the son, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. All you got to do is ask and the world is yours, Jesus. And then Jesus Again, being that one that all the promises of God are concentrated in one person shares with those who believe in him. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 5. These are the words in the Beatitudes that many of you have memorized. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? 
the earth. See, Jesus, he gets the whole world, and then he shares it with those who believe. That's part of the good news. Not just that you're forgiven of your sins, not just that you go to heaven one day, but we get to inherit the entire created order and be with Jesus in that created order forever. As uh, G.K. Beale says in his book, A New Testament Biblical Theology, God's intent all along was to make the entire creation his holy of holies. Not just a little strip of land in the Middle East, but the entire creation his holy of holies and his dwelling place. The holy of holies patterned after Eden was to expand to cover the city of Jerusalem. And then the temple city would widen to cover the land. And finally, the temple land would be amplified to surround the earth. In other words, every square inch of the world belongs to Jesus. And because it belongs to Jesus, it belongs to his people too. Wow. Wow, right? So you don't have to ask for anything for Christmas. Because you already own it all. Seriously. All things are yours in Christ. All right, so we've talked about offspring. We've talked about land. There's one more thing we need to talk about, and that's blessing. And oh boy, is it a great blessing. (laughs) Here's what... God says to Abraham, Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. He says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right, so God's saying, look, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless people all over the world. And the son of Abraham comes. And Paul, in Galatians 3, 8, quotes from this passage, and he says, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that is, he would make them righteous in his sight by faith, He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. See, it's through Jesus that all the nations are blessed. The son of Abraham. And we see the fulfillment of this in Revelation 5, 9 through 10, when we read, John is looking up into the heavens and he sees like the heavens are open and he sees this scene in heaven and he, they, they're singing this new song and they're saying, worthy are you, talking to Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people, you bought people, you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people, and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. All right, I don't know if you've heard, you heard this, but people all over the world are your brothers and sisters in Christ because they believe. And 
Not only are they your family, they are part of the kingdom. The kingdom that will never end. And not only that, but they are your fellow priests. That we all serve God together. Now you may be thinking, okay, this is great. Great stuff about Jesus, but what does this have to do with me? All right. First of all, let me say this. I love America. You know what's coming, right? (laughs) When we make too much of our own nation, when we give in to national exceptionalism and fail to see the wider view of the kingdom, when we act and think as if our nation is the chosen nation, rather than seeing God's people as the chosen nation, when we fail to see how Jesus encompasses people from every nation all over the world, when we act and think as if our nation should be the kingdom that lasts forever, rather than the kingdom of Christ, we are straying from the truth of God. You hear me? Now, that doesn't mean you can't sing God bless America. You can. But you have to put that underneath, I love thy kingdom, Lord. The kingdom of Christ is the one that lasts forever. The kingdom of Christ isn't just um, relegated to one part of the world. It is part of the whole world. It's not just one nation. It's not just people like us. It's people from every tribe and every tongue and every language. And we're all going to be part of that kingdom together. We're all going to be priests. We're all going to be citizens of the kingdom. We're all going to be family. So we might as well start getting used to that idea now. And I'm not saying that just because someone is alive, that means they're your brother and sister. No, but if they're alive and they're in Christ, or even if they're dead and they're in Christ, they're yours. They're your family. They're your fellow priests. They're your fellow citizens of the kingdom. So we need to act like that. Rather than trying to pretend like we are something we need to recognize one day our nation will fall. But the kingdom, the kingdom will always be there because Jesus establishes a kingdom that will never, ever, ever fail. And if you believe in him, you're part of that kingdom and you get to rule and reign with him. Tell me that's not some good news. Come on, you guys aren't excited enough. I'm telling you. Charles talked about it this morning when we talked about joy to the world. And he said, joy just bubbles up and you just can't control it. If you start thinking about, wait a second, I actually, everything is mine because everything is Jesus and I belong to Jesus? I belong to a kingdom that will never fail no matter what tries to come against us. There's no weapon that's formed that can prosper against any of us. Not ultimately. When you start thinking about that, you can't help but get a little excited. 
Even if your excitement level is like this, you can't help but get excited. Because this is what Jesus does as the son of Abraham. He fulfills the offspring and then says, you too are offspring. He fulfills the land promise and makes it a promise of the whole world. And he says, you get to rule and reign with me on that world. He fulfills the blessing. In fact, every blessing that God has to give is yours if you belong to Jesus. Everyone. He's not withholding anything from you. So your action point. It's very similar to the action points we've had before, but we just need to be reminded of this. Believe in and celebrate Jesus as the son of Abraham. Believe in and celebrate Jesus as the son of Abraham. Look, so many times I hear people say, oh, the good news of Jesus is that he died for my sins. And yes, that is a major part of the good news. But do you hear how the good news is bigger than just that? Yes, Jesus died for your sins, but he also gives you he gives you himself. He gives you everything he inherits. He gives and he gives and he gives and it never stops. That's good news to the poor. The poor physically and the poor spiritually. That Jesus never tires of giving us blessings. All of God's promises are fulfilled in that Jesus. So do we believe that way? Not just, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins and you know, he, he was a little baby in the manger and that's what we celebrate. Now, do you see that there's something so much bigger than just that? And celebrating. Are we celebrating Jesus as the great fulfiller of all of God's promises? Are we celebrating the fact that there will be countless numbers of people that will believe in Jesus and will be with us in a new heaven and new earth and will all be praising God forever? Are we celebrating that? Are we celebrating that not just people who look like me will be part of that new heaven and new earth, but there will be people who look very different, who sound very different, whose culture is very different, and yet they'll be a part of that kingdom. Do we celebrate the fact that we get to share everything? We even get to rule and reign with Jesus. Do we celebrate the fact that he is the one through whom every spiritual blessing that God has to give is comes to us? Do we celebrate Jesus as the one that every promise that God has made will be yes in him? Pick a promise, and in Jesus, that promise is yes. And whatever Jesus gets, he shares with us. So, for some of you, you don't believe. Boy, after hearing this, I would think you've got to at least be saying, maybe I should give this Jesus guy a chance. Because that sounds like some pretty good news. Yeah, you should. It's good for you.
But for those of you who already believe, I just I want to press you. Believe in a way that it shows. That it shows in the way you live, in the way you speak, in the way you sing. We're going to sing a, a song that you all know, Joy to the World. When we sing that today, at the end of this service, let the joy overflow. He rules the world with truth and grace, right? That's our Jesus, and he shares that with us. So yeah, let's sing with joy, and let's go out of here with joy. Let's find great joy in the Savior who blesses the world, Jesus, the Son of Abraham. Let me pray for us that we'll be able to do that. Jesus, help us to find great joy in you. I know even for me right now, it, it is easy for me to focus on the wrong things. Lift up my head, lift up my eyes to see just how amazing you really are. And do that for all these folks here, for those who don't believe and for those who do. Let the same thing happen, that they would lift their eyes and see you for what you really are and find great joy in you in believing and in celebrating. And even now as we sing, let our hearts be full of this joy that comes to the whole world. Amen.